As I mentioned earlier, I'm so glad that each of you are with us. I want to take a moment just before I begin the message today. I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, uh, the story. The Bible is one continuing story of God and his people. I don't want to take a lot of time to do it, but I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago and we sold out of all of the copies, but I really recommend it uh, for people who are not like Christians yet or you're a new Christian or you're like a veteran Christian just looking for a way to read the Bible uh, differently. It's, it's written in chronological order, and it doesn't include every chapter of every verse, but it's, it's the story of God, and it starts in Genesis. In fact, what we're uh, going to be talking about today, I looked at uh, my copy earlier, and uh, it's like on page 248 here, and you can just pick it up and read it like a book. In fact, it doesn't even divide it uh, as we see the Bible divided, and it's a great way to help you to understand the Bible I run into a lot of people that never read the Bible before, and so they're intimidated about, like, what do I do? And it's just a great, great way to study the Bible. So that's available out in the lobby, and we're able to sell it at the price that we get it at, which is about half of what you would normally. So I only mention it. We don't make any money of it, don't want to make any money, but make it available to you if it will help you to grow spiritually. Speaking of that, uh, growing spiritually, I want us to begin a new year the right way. And there's no better way, I believe, for you and I to start 2019 than for us to, on this first Sunday of this year, to talk about something that is vitally important to the growth and the future trajectory of each of our lives. See, all of us are going someplace spiritually. In fact, you're not going to be able to stay neutral. I've been a pastor long enough to know that if you're not moving forward, friends, I hate to tell you this, you're going to be moving backwards. Nobody just sort of stays neutral. You don't stay at the same place. You're either gaining some ground with God's help spiritually or typically you're regressing. And so it's not just going to somehow happen like, you know what, I haven't really been growing in uh, 2016 or 2018, had a little bit of growth, you know, back then, but I'm not really growing spiritually and I'm hoping maybe mystically, maybe somehow supernaturally, I'm just going to all of a sudden out of the blue start growing this year. It's not going to happen that way. It just will not. There are certain practices and things that you and I can do that can help us to grow in God. And I believe that the future of future direction of your spiritual life matters a whole lot to God. And I believe that it matters a whole lot to you. And so I'm very excited about the series that we're talking about starting today, uh, talking about prayer. Now, I want to just do a little time out right here. Because again, I'm not, I'm not a novice pastor anymore. I'm not a rookie pastor. I know I look like I'm in my 20s still, but I'm not. And I know I don't look like I'm in my, but when I first started out, I'm like, everybody, you know, anything that you're talking about, everybody's excited about it and everybody sees things the same way you do. And I know, I know, maybe not necessarily for you. In fact, let me just sort of present it this way. Let's say that we just took all of you that are in this room and we sort of had you go in the theater next door and we brought in a whole different group of people that I didn't even know. And I had never really talked to before. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. I didn't know where they're at spiritually. And I just said, Hey, by the way, I want to take the next 32 minutes and I want to talk to you about prayer. I, I know, I know I've just been around long enough to know a lot of people just like yawn. A lot of people just check out. A lot of people just say, oh, prayer, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to shift to my grocery list because I need to get groceries this afternoon or I've got a project at home and I'm just going to mentally get ahead of the game because when, after lunch, I'm going to start working on that project or hey, this is a busy time. First of the year, I got a lot of things going on at work. And so people just check out and I know that. But I want you to freeze for just a moment, you. Because I believe that what we're going to be talking about today and next week 
And the week after that, for three weeks, these three prayers, I believe, friends, that they can, in a huge way, affect, I really believe this, the future trajectory of your life if you will take the truths that we're going to look at from God's Word and really apply them to your life. Now, again, I believe, I believe that you are interested in prayer. I know not everybody's interested in prayer. I know that. I know that there are uh, reasons why various people might want to check out when it's revealed to them, the subject matter at hand, you know, prayer. And a person might think this way. A person, when they hear, well, you know, there's going to be a, a message to talk about prayer. Well, prayer, what do I feel about it? And some people would say, uh, I've tried prayer. Uh, obviously, it's not for me. I'm not good at it. I'm bored by it. You know, I'm frustrated with it. Been there, done that. No thanks. Prayer is not for me. Tried it, just didn't work. Or a person might say, you know, candidly, uh, it's much to do about nothing. And some people, if they gave voice to what they were really thinking, they'd say, I'm not totally convinced that it's necessary or even linked to me becoming a solid, stable Christ follower. Other things, maybe yes, like me being here today in church, that's important, reading the Bible, other things, but a consistent prayer life, well, that's, I just, and, and some of you, like, if you were, like, painfully honest, you might would even say, I'm not even sure that prayer works. So I know that when I mention prayer, because I've been around long enough to know, not everybody gets fired up about it on the front edge. And some people, not you, of course, but some people might would say, hey, you know, Jeff, if you're going to talk about prayer, I don't claim to be a know-it-all, but I just want to let you know that I've read the books, I've heard the talks, I've listened to some teachings recommended to me. So probably nothing that you're going to share with me today is not something that I haven't already heard. So I realize those kind of thoughts can be lingering around out there. But then on the other hand of the equation, the other side of that, I believe there are people just like you. People just like those of you seated in this room right now that you would say, yeah, Jeff, I struggle with prayer. I'm not good at it. I've tried it. And I'm, you know, sometimes I get frustrated. I've had moments I've got bored by it, but I know that prayer matters. I know that prayer is the catalyst to connecting with and growing in God. I know that if I could ever get it nailed down and I'd like to get it nailed down this year, that it would change my life for the good, that if I could develop some consistency in this, if I could learn and I could know God in deeper ways, I could grow in God personally. And that's what I want for my life. So, you know, your equation, the way that you would look at it would be entirely different from maybe a lot of people. And in order to help us all with this, I'm kicking off this series that we're calling, you see it on the screen, three prayers. It's not like three prayers, technically two of them. And again, I don't know what you've got going on the next two Sundays, but unless you're out of town, our, our just some other unforeseen circumstance, would you please, please, please clear your calendar next Sunday because what we're going to talk about is going to be so important and I'm not even going to give it away. And then the week after that, uh, it's like I feel like we're saving the best for last because in that in that Sunday morning setting, two weeks from today, we're going to look at a prayer that Jesus prayed that I'm telling you, friends, it, will, it still is breathtaking to me. It still blows me away. And for many of you, I believe that this prayer that Jesus prayed, if you could adopt it and follow it, would unlock something in you that would change your future. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I just want to encourage you to be here. Now, today, we're going to reach back all the way into the Old Testament, and we're going to run into this guy who, at the time that we meet him, 
and I'll take you there in just a moment. Uh, he's a rather older guy at this point. He's like a senior adult kind of guy. It's not old. He's just a senior adult. And say that his life story is dramatic would be, uh, you know, that's like a colossal underst uh, understatement. His life is so much more than dramatic. Uh, I'm not going to have the time to give you everything about him, but I'm going to give you enough uh, details concerning uh, this guy's life uh, that um, you're going to be like, hey, I feel like I know him somewhat now. You've probably read his letter, his book in the Old Testament. But this guy, along with some uh, friends of his, are, are kidnapped, actually kidnapped from Jerusalem where they lived as very young men. And, and they are taken out of their homeland, which is where they preferred to be, and they're taken to a foreign country. And it, it is, by the way, uh, this, uh, you know, uh, needs to be mentioned. It was a, a totally pagan society, a godless environment. And so now all of a sudden, these young men who were at home in Jerusalem, around their family, around their friends, knew their culture, knew their language, all of a sudden kidnapped, taken as captives into a language, uh, a land, a culture, a people that they're totally unfamiliar with, hedonistic in every way, a godless society. And this is the story of a young man by the name of Daniel. And Daniel's story is fascinating to me. I had several people come up to me after the 930 service and just said, you know, I've heard about Daniel a little bit, but there's so many things I've learned about Daniel today, and I think that's going to be true for you. So Daniel, his story is such, and I'll give you the high points of it. He and a few of his buddies purposely decide that their faith, because they're seriously, seriously devoted to God, they purposely decide that their faith and their connection to God is not going to be pushed underground. And so here comes Daniel and some of his friends, and, and they start getting a little bit older, and they get jobs, and they're learning the language, and they're learning the culture. And again, they really prefer to be back home in Jerusalem, but they've got to work with what they've got. And so, you know, they get these jobs, and Daniel uh, primarily, and some others like him, they just say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do our work as under God. We're going to work responsibly. We're going to do our job with excellence in everything that we do. We want to seek to glorify God so that when people look at us, they're going to know we're unapologetic for our faith and we're not taking any shortcuts. We're going to do our work well. We're going to do our work with integrity. We're going to do it with excellence. We're going to honor God. And as a result of that, Daniel is recognized. He's elevated. He's promoted. And he eventually transitions into the political arena. And I know that some of you may be trying to get ahead of me and you're like, okay, that's when it went uh, bad, right? When he got into politics, it just went bad. No, it, he just kept that same attitude that he had carried as a young man. He continues to honor God. God continues to bless his life. Daniel continues to work diligently. He gives glory to God. He boldly stands up for God in this godless domain. And professionally speaking, it's just amazing when you look at Daniel's story, professionally speaking, he just keeps climbing high and higher and higher and, and he's in a land that is not his own land. He's like being promoted to positions that even people that have grown up in that culture, that land would never even imagine being promoted to. But this is the hand of God upon Daniel's life blessing him. And I was thinking about that. How many of you have traveled out of America? You've traveled, maybe you're from another country actually, and you've traveled outside either, you know, leisurely a vacation or a missions trip. And I've done that. And I love doing that. I really do. But I was thinking about it this morning. In fact, our son Drew, he's part of our setup team doing some things. 
in the lobby area on Sunday morning. So he and I was talking, and out of the blue, he just brings up this trip that I took him on when he was uh, about the fourth grade. And uh, he's fourth grader, so he's about 10 years old. And I'm thinking, man, it's time for a good old fourth grader here to get exposed to what it's like to be in a third world country. And uh, I took him, and we go to this country. And, man, it, it so rocked his world. He still talks about it. He's talking about it, bringing up a couple of specific things this morning. And, and it got me thinking, knowing what I was talking about today with Daniel being kidnapped. He didn't go of his own volition. He's kidnapped, taken away from home. And I thought that would be like me going to a country and I don't know the language, and I don't know the culture, and I don't know the people, and, and let's just say that it was a pagan society, much like Daniel now finds himself in, and I'm just, this whole rise, I mean, that's unthinkable. It's, it's amazing to think that I could go there and not really know people and culture and language and such, the educational system, but I would just continue to climb, 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 but Daniel has this ferocious work ethic. He does his work with integrity. Again, as I mentioned to you, he wants to glorify God, and as a result of that, he just keeps moving up higher and higher to the point that by the time that we meet up with Daniel in chapter 6, which we're about to look at, there's a new king in the land, and he so likes Daniel that this is what he says. He's like, Daniel, here's what I'm going to do. He is so totally impressed with everything that we've been talking about, you know, work ethic, professionalism, glorifying God, integrity and stuff, even though the king is not a, a godly man. He sees all of these things. He says, I want that kind of guy in a high level of position my government. So underneath the king, there's like these three very influential positions, and he wants Daniel to become one of the three, but I'll let you in on a little secret because this was a secret that the king had. The king had a secret. His intention was to put Daniel into one of these three positions right underneath him, but then to promote him above those three to where only the king himself would have greater influence and authority in this whole nation than Daniel. Can you imagine that? So he's going to promote him to the top place in this entire national government right underneath the king. So this is what's going to happen, or so it appears, when um, somehow it's discovered by Daniel's colleagues, the people that had been working with him, not the people that had come with him from Jerusalem, but people working with him, that uh, this was the king's plan and when this is somehow discovered, they do not like it at all. To say that they were foot-stomping men, uh, again, that would be yet another understatement. Now, I want to ask you a question before I get into this a little bit, all right? How many of you know this? How many of you know that anger and jealousy causes people to do some crazy things? You agree with that? That anger and jealousy causes people to do some crazy things. So these guys get together and they're like, Daniel, we're not even, we don't even like Daniel that much. Oh yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good worker. He, he's connected with God. He's never hidden his faith. And I know he's come. And so all of those things, he does his work with excellence, but we're not crazy about Daniel and we don't want this guy having, we prefer. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to dig up a little bit of dirt on Daniel and we're going to present this to the king. King's going to say, no way, no way. I can't have Daniel being the top guy in the whole national government. So they go, they're going to find some things, a little bit of scandal, a little bit of stuff going on in Daniel's life so that they can bring him down. And you just got to know that's their intention. Daniel's colleagues is to bring him down, but they run into a problem. Look at it on the screen. This is Daniel 6. They could find, what are these two words right here? Sam with me. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt 
nor negligent. So they're like, okay, we've got a problem right out of the gate. We want to bring him down. We're going to take him down, whatever it takes. Because again, when you're angry and you're jealous, you're going to do some crazy things. So we're going to bring him down. He's never going to rise to greater power than what he already has. We're going to bring him down. And yet they've got a problem. They couldn't find any corruption in him. There's no dirt. So they get back together and it's like, okay, well, we're not going to be able to bring any, you know, any scandal, you know, to the forefront because there's no scandal in Daniel's life. So if we're going to bring him down with anything, it's going to have to be something wrapped around his connection, his familiarity, his devotion to God. And everybody knew that because Daniel, along with some of his other buddies that came from Jerusalem, they just made a purposeful determination early on. Our faith is not going underground. Our commitment to God is not going. Everybody that knew Daniel knew that he was seriously devoted to God. So now they've got to adjust their plan. Now it's going to have to be something in regard to his commitment to God that they're going to go after that they can sort of leverage. And so I want you to look at this next verse right up here on the screen. So they said, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God, unless it has something to do with his vital connection to God. Now, uh, again, Daniel, you've got to know this about him. He never kept his faith in relationship with God undercover. So now what they have to do is they have to adjust their deceitful and insidious plot. So these colleagues of Daniel who hate him, angry, jealous, they go to the king and they said, all right, king, here's, here's something that we've been thinking about. Uh, a lot of us guys got together and you've put a lot of confidence in us. And so we've come up with a plan. We think it's a good plan. Of course, you've got to sign off on it, king, but we think it's a good plan. And the plan is uh, we think that people ought to pray to you. We, pay, we say that people ought to worship you, you know, maybe not long term, but at least let's do it on a 30-day trial basis. Let's see how it goes, and anybody who does not cooperate, it's going to be bad, bad news for them. In fact, look at this verse. You'll see it on the screen. Anyone king, and these, these colleagues of Daniel are talking to him who hate Daniel, anyone who prays to any god or man during this next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, what does it mean to be thrown into the lion's den? Let me just make that plain. That means death penalty. To say you're going to be thrown into the lion's den in our culture, it's not even as much. It's like, hey, you're going to be taken to the gas chamber. You're going to be taken to the, it's death penalty. I mean, you know, if somebody's going to be taken to the gas chamber, you're not generally thinking, well, hey, I hope they come out all right, or they're going to the electric chair. I hope that, you know, it's, it's, it's like a given. And so they say to the king, king, you know what? In his egotism, it just hits him right day, right mood. And he's like, man, you know, I think now you got to know the king has no idea that Daniel's a part of their, their plot there. He's not even connecting the dots. And he says, you mean people would pray to me? And he, I sort of like that. That's never happened. People would work like people would bow down and worship. He said, I think that. And so they've already got it like probably drawn up. And all we need King is your signature. And we sign this legislation, this decree, it goes into law and we're going to make it happen. This is, and if anybody for the next 30 days is called praying to anybody, but you worshiping anybody, but you death penalty. Immediate trip. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Immediate trip to the lion's dens. Now, Daniel's colleagues, I know I'm giving you the high points of his life, but you got to understand this is an incredible story. Daniel's colleagues are not only angry and jealous, they're also clever. 
Because everybody who knew Daniel, Daniel's not a lightweight. This guy has incredible prominence now in this culture, this nation. So everybody who knows Daniel knows when he prays and where he prays every single day of his life. So they're like, hey, they set it up this way. We know where he prays. We know when he prays. We know how he prays. And we're just going to catch him red-handed. And if we catch him red-handed, this is against his prayers that he has prayed now. Daniel, by this time, has prayed in the same same place, same way, same time, every day, every day for decades. They know he's going to pray unless he changes his plan. We're going to catch him red-handed, death penalty, and he's not going to get in this position the king is thinking about. And so Daniel catches word of it. Hey, Daniel, his buddies are like, hey, hey, dude, man, 30 days, just, just go. You know, I know, I, I, I know we get it. We respect the fact that you love God, that you've never allowed your faith to go unto God, you've prayed, you know, everybody knows when you pray, everybody knows where you pray, everybody knows your soul. I mean, from the time you were a young man to this time, nobody's ever questioned your commitment to God. But hey, Daniel, 30 days, how about a reprieve? Just, you know, 30 days. God understands, you, you know, God doesn't want you to die and you can have a lot of great influence in this country. God's already using you. We want that. Hey, Daniel, do 30 days, time out, 30 days. God understands. God's not going to kick you out of his family if you don't pray for 30 days. And he's like, nope, not going for it. Well, Daniel, how about this? How about you just, uh, you pretend you're taking a nap? You know, just, you know, don't go up to your second floor. Don't open the windows, breeze. You know, it's cool, and you're going to get there, and you're going to get a, you're going to pray to God. Don't, don't. Just, you know, all right, if you're bound and determined to pray, just pretend you're taking a nap. 30 days, 30 days only, and while you're pretending to take a nap, and so, you know, and he's like, nope, not going to happen. No way, no how. Daniel's disciplined prayer time for decades that has suddenly become illegal Daniel has all these options. I want you to look now. Still chapter 6. All of this is chapter 6. Look at verse 10. Look at what he does. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home. Look at these three words. To his upstairs. His upstairs room where the windows open toward Jerusalem. How many times a day? Daniel's case, three times a day. He got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God Read the last of this with me. Last five words. Just as he had done before. And Daniel's like, you know what? I'm not backing off of this. I'm not, I'm not going to go underground with my devotion. My prayer life is so important to me. I know that my growth in God and my relationship with God and my commitment to God, I know at the core of that is based on this intimate time that I've had with God every day. I go, I've got a place to pray. I, I've got a time I pray. I've committed. I've devoted some habits to this. This is so important to me. Listen, listen. If they've got to feed me to the lines, feed me to the lines but I'm not backing off of this. I'm not going to back off. Now, gets interesting. Come about verse 14. Uh, king gets wind of this. They're like, hey, hey, king, here, here's Daniel. Guess what we caught him doing? Because everybody knew when he prayed, where he prayed, all of that. He was so committed to prayer. And it's like, king, guess, guess who we caught praying to another God? Our God, by the way, Jehovah God, guess who we call praying to another God? Your fair-haired boy Daniel here, and you've already signed legislation. You know what that means. I want you to look at verse 14, what verse 14 says. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Now, how many of you remember this? Wave at me if you remember the king likes Daniel. 
king likes Daniel. He's the guy that wants to promote him to the top place in this whole national government. He likes Daniel, and he is grieved. When this is brought to his attention, he's like, man, was I duped. Was I hoodwinked? I had no, I never connected. What an idiot I was. Here I was caught up in my egotism in the moment. I just thought this was a cool thing. People got prayed to me, bow before me, worship me. I never had in mind that their whole deal was to bring down Daniel. And he was grieved about it. He was in agony about it. He feels terrible. He feels remorseful. And, and he's like, oh man, what, what have I done? But he knows he signed the bill. He knows he signed the decree. It's got to go forward. It's illegal. Daniel was caught in it. And so look at what he says to Daniel as Daniel's headed toward the death penalty. The king said to Daniel, may your God, Daniel, may your God, this God that you have prayed to, this God you've been devoted to every since your first day in Jerusalem, may this God whom you serve, I don't serve him, Daniel, but may this God whom you serve continually, you serve him continually, may this God rescue you. And Daniel Praise a different kind of prayer this time. His prayer takes, not that it didn't have some variety to it before, but he's never prayed the prayer that he's about to pray as he's on his way to the death penalty. This is what he prays. He says, God, here's what I'm asking you to do. Please shut the mouth of these lions. Now, he's thrown into the lions. The king doesn't even want to be there. He doesn't want to see it, doesn't want to hear it. That He is just so in inner turmoil that he goes to bed knowing Daniel's been thrown into the lion's den for something that Daniel really didn't do wrong. This is a man that has great integrity. He's worked hard. He's done his work is in a way to honor and glorify God. I mean, he's done nothing wrong. And the king's like, this is me. I put Daniel in this position. I was so stupid. I was so filled up with myself. I, it's me. And so he tosses and he turns. He can hardly stand it. And the next morning he goes to see and he's like, I, I, you know, I know what has probably happened, but I'm just going to check. Anyhow, I love this. Look at this next part. Look at this. Uh, verse 23. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Isn't that a great thing? Yeah, sure. We could clap about that. And I know, I know, I know. There are people that say, uh, well, the king, uh, you know, the king threw him in the lion's den. The, you know, uh, the lions were hungry that night. Chick-fil-A catered, you know, prior to, and they were full, and they weren't hungry, or they would have just, no. And, and I'll, I'll show you why, why that, or I'll tell you why, and you can read it later because I won't have time to get to it. Right after this thing happens, two prominent things happen. One's like really bad, and one's like really, really good. All right, so let me give you the bad first, bad before the good. The bad is this. The king, you know, he's relieved, and now he's, he's like, these guys, I can't, they had me, they set me up to set Daniel up, and he is so angry himself now. He says, you know what? This is what their ploy was. This is what they wanted to do to an innocent man, a man that loves his God, a man that is devoted to God, a man that's never allowed his faith to go underground, a man that has glorified God in his workplace. By the way, can, wouldn't it be wonderful if every one of us had called Victory Church, our church home, that we were like that, that we did our work with integrity to the glory of God. We did it with, in a way with excellence to the point that people look around this and man, there's just something. Hey, can I just say it? This is free. This is not even a part of this talk. If people around you, if you think it's a cool thing that nobody where you were knows you're a Christian, that is not a cool thing. That is not a cool thing. It's not because you're shoving it down their throat, but people ought to know that there's something different about your life. And they knew that with Daniel. 
They knew that there was something about his life. So the king is so mad. Look at what they've done. Innocent man. I just wanted their jealousy, anger. I'll tell you what. This is what they want for Daniel. They're going to get what they wanted for Daniel. And he has all of them rounded up, and he has them thrown into the lion's den. You know what? You can read about this later on. You know, before The scripture gives us an indication that before their feet even hit the ground, when they're thrown in, they are, they are eaten. They're destroyed by the lion. So it's not that the lions were not hungry. God had just answered the prayer of Daniel, and he had shut their mouth. Now, I'll give you the good. The good is found in verses 26 and 27. Look at it right here. I issue, so he's got a new decree now. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, this is a king now, every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. No more praying to me. I'm done with that. That was stupid. But they must fear and reverence the God of Daniel for he, speaking of God, is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Look at these next few words. He rescues and he saves. Friends, if there ought to be any more motivation for you and I praying, it ought to be the motivation of knowing that we pray to a God that still in 2019 rescues and saves. The king says, this God performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Is that not a fascinating story? Don't ever tell me the Bible is boring. That only tell me you've never read it. I've read it many times. All right, so transition. I don't have long, but I want you to get this real practically before we're done. You see, in the middle of these breathtaking events, it's quite easy to overlook what is front and center in Daniel's story. It's an amazing story, but if we're not careful, we'll miss what is at the epicenter of the story. This hardworking, inspirational, courageous, principled leader had a daily time and a daily place where he met with God for years. And his attitude to this his attitude toward this was, hey, you know what? If you guys are like giving me choices here, like am I going to continue to pray? Because listen, this is what Daniel knew. Daniel knew that everything about his spiritual life and the trajectory of where he was going from here to there, he knew all of that was, was linked to his time, his intimate time with God in prayer, that when it was presented to Daniel like, hey, stop praying, even do a brief, a 30-day reprieve, give it up for a little while or it's death. He's like, you know, if that's the option, hey, stop praying or go throw me in the lion's den right now, right here. I'm not giving it up. I'm not, because Daniel knew how important this was to his life and his growth in God. And he was so devoted to that. He said, I'm not going to stop. I'm not even going to suspend it temporarily. So if it means I become dinner for some hungry lions, so be it. God shuts their mouth. Great. And if he does, guess what? I'm going right back to pray. Now, I, I know, I, I, I know that we can have this skeptical little edge to us, all of us. Okay, okay, okay. Jeff, you're just hyped up about it. You're excited about Daniel's story. But hey, don't forget, this is like Old Testament. That's probably like, stop, you know, New Testament, sort of new era, new covenant. Um, lest we think that this is an Old Testament matter only, I want you to take a look now at what Jesus, and, and let me just give you a, a hint. If anybody comes back from the dead, how many of you know we ought to listen to him? And Jesus came back from the dead. And I want you to listen, look at what he said. Jesus, the one who would after, sometime after this, come back from the dead. He said, but when you pray, look at these words, go into your room, close the door, 
and pray to your father. Now, I want the guys to leave that, and I don't have long. I only have a few moments left, and we're going to be out of here. But I want you to look at what Jesus said about the priority of prayer. Jesus taught about the, the priority of prayer in this way. He talked about uh, sort of the pattern of it. I want you to notice what Jesus said. Jesus did not say, but if you pray. His assumption was that anybody that wanted to know the Father and grow in their walking relationship with God, that they would make prayer, prayer a priority in your life. So it's not like Jesus is saying, hey, but if you pray, if you get around to it, if you think it's really going to help you, it may, you know, I don't know how you, Jesus says, but when you pray, because he made an assumption that every, listen, serious-minded follower of his would want to pray. So he said, when you pray, look at this next part. You not only need a pattern, you need a place. Go into your room. Now, he didn't designate that room. Whatever room. Now, for me, it's my office. I don't know what it is for you. For you, it may be your kitchen table. It may be a place that you've set aside. And, and you go to a room. You have a place. That's Daniel. He had a pattern. And that's why they, they could set their clock by the fact that they knew that he had a time and a place where he was going to meet with his God. And that's simply what Jesus is saying. You, when you pray, I, I'm not thinking you may, whether or not you will, you, you, if you're serious about going forward in your relationship with the Father, you go into your room and now he mentions sort of the prophecy of prayer. You close the door. You just get in there. You've got a pattern. It's not if, it's when. You've got a place. When you go to that place, you close the door because this ought to be personal and ought to be private. And Jesus even practiced this in his own life. A number of years ago, I was reading a book by Max Lucado, and this is what he said. He said, if Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless Savior of humankind, thought it worthwhile to clear his calendar to pray, wouldn't it be wise for us to do the same? And isn't that true? If anybody could have got a free pass on prayer, like, hey, 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 I know, the, like, I know the Father. Like, Father's in me, and I'm in the Father, and you've heard people say, if you've seen me, you've seen, Jesus said, you see me, you see the Father. So, but he said, you know what? This is so important, so important. Jesus is telling us about the priority of prayer. And can I just mention this to you? There are no exceptions. Each of us, every one of us, no exceptions, no exceptions. Each of us need a time and a place where we can just, it's what Jesus was saying, time and a place where we can just go into the room and shut the door and we can have some focused time with God to not be rushed, to not be distracted, to not be interrupted. And again, for me, that's my office. It's, a, it's the quietest place I can find to be free from distractions. And I could give you all kind of nuances and, and hopefully we could do that even more so in the future weeks. But for me, it's my office. I don't know where it is for you. It may be your office. Again, it may be your kitchen table. But you need a place where you can spend time with God that's free. And I know when I say that, there's some of you who are younger mothers. You're like, no place exists like that. Every place that I've got is there's no place without distraction and noise and static. But focus, not be rushed. We need a place where we can adore and worship God. Can I just tell you, I love to be in here with you on Sunday mornings and worship God together corporately, but I've got to tell you, there's something really special when I'm able just my time with God in a quiet, interrupted place is to just like worship God one-on-one, to, to just be in that place. I love it the way uh, Wayne Cadero said it. Uh, look at this on the screen. He said, you can celebrate God in a crowd, which is what we do. He said, but you can only get to know God one-on-one. You can only get to know him one-on-one. -on -one. And so there's times where we have to adore and worship God. We need time where we can seek wisdom and guidance in a quiet and deliberate way. 
And some of you, you've got to make some big decisions this year. And you're like, oh, man, you know, I've got to make some big decisions here. And, and, and you're like, hey, I wonder if God would just whisper. I wonder if God would just nudge me. I wonder if God would just speak to me because I, I need wisdom beyond myself. And I've got to make some decisions here, but it'd be good if God would weigh in. And maybe you do, as a lot of people have found uh, advantage of doing this, saying, all right, God, all right, so I've been reading, I've been praying, I've been talking, putting my Bible down, I'm putting my pen down, putting my journal down, whatever it is, tools you use when you're connected with God in the most intimate of ways, and where you would just sort of back away from that and say, now, God, I'm going to get really, really, really quiet here. And if you've got a word, or you've got a nudging, or you've got a leading, or you've got some direction for me, that'd be like really helpful, God. That'd really be appreciated, God. I run into people all the time who say, God never speaks to me. And I don't say it because I try to be more tactful and diploma, uh, more diplomacy. You know what I want to say? Because God doesn't have a chance to talk to you. You never give him a chance. You're always so busy, busy, busy. Noise, 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 noise. This, this, this. TV, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm not opposed to TV. I'm not opposed to Facebook. I'm not opposed to any of these things. But there just comes times, listen, where we've got to set whatever it is we're down, even if it's for a little while, to just say, you know what? I don't need to be doing this. Don't need to be watching that. Don't need to be reading that. Don't need to be working on. I just need to set it all down and give God a chance to speak to me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We need a place where we can sincerely confess and repent of sin. I feel strongly about this. You and I know that we sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm just, I've never been comfortable with saying, all right, so I've sinned and I'm just, while I'm driving down the road, just gonna throw up, uh, I'm sorry, God. You know, God, I know I'm sorry. I think when we sin, it ought to grip us more so than that. And I think there's value in just saying, you know what? When I sin, I break the heart of God. And that's the fact, friends, when we sin, we break the heart of God. We disappoint ourselves, but we break the heart. And I just think there's value of saying, as Jesus said, you just go into your room and you just shut the door. And that provides us with a place where we can sincerely confess and repent of saying, God, I was so wrong. I was so stupid. I never should have said that. I never should have thought that. I never should have done that. And it's not just driving down the road. Oh, God. Oh, by the way, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, you got 28 other things. Sorry, God. Shouldn't have done. Sorry. I think sin ought to be taken more seriously than that. A place where we can get along with God and draw upon power that is available and necessary and only found by connecting intimately with God to get to that point in our life where we say, you know what? I need to more and more move from willpower, which is my power, to real power, which is the power of God. Some of you are saying, I'm coming into 2019 and there's some things that I need to leave behind because it is junking up my life and there's some things I need to start doing and I'm just going to have to muster up a little bit more willpower in order to make that happen. Listen, friends, I want to tell you what you need is not more willpower. You need more of the power of God in your life. And the power of God comes when you spend time intimately with God. And it was so important to Daniel that they said, Daniel, 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 if you don't stop this, they're going to feed you to the lines. Death penalty for you boy and he's like that's easy for me easy call for me stop praying keep praying go to the den of i'm gonna keep praying feed me to the lines because it was that important to his life are you desperate for god are you desperate are you saying god in 2019 i want to grow in you like i've never grown before
I want the trajectory of my life to be moving forward. I'm not looking to regress because you won't stand still. I won't stand still. We can't do that. We can't remain neutral. We're even either moving forward with God or we're in regression. It's just the way it works. And I think God has better things for you. And I think there's better things that you want for yourself in God. Would you stand with me? And let's close in prayer. God, I pray that we would not be passive, but instead we'd be passionate about really knowing you, really growing in you. God, that we would not live our life in a way that we just simply want to get by. We just want to get by. We want to be good people, but we just simply want to get by. Help that not to be our attitude. Help us to have the attitude of Daniel who said, no matter what, we're going to plug into God's power that is available to me. And if it means I get fed to lines, so be it. But I will not stop doing that's going to help me to know God personally and deeply and help me to grow in my faith and relationship with him. May that grip us all today. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, everybody. See you next Sunday.